Welcome to Mother, the show where we can explore our inner mothers to actualize our greatest selves through interviews with incredible guests, live coaching sessions, and my own experiences. We're going to dive deep into embracing feminine values and reparenting ourselves. So be prepared to show up, hold space, and be mothered in a way you never have before, but have always needed. It's time to rewrite the mother code. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of Rewrite the Mother Code with me, Dr. Gertrude Lyons. Before I introduce my guest today, Dorsey Standish, who I have recently gotten to know, we were on a retreat together in Lake Las Vegas, woohoo, but actually it was with Alexia Vernon and her vocal empowerment around really working at the business of speaking and being present in all arenas you know, of our life with our voices. So she has really been instrumental, Alex, that is, in in my journey, in my journey, getting this message out, getting my voice out there. And I will tell you, it was, it's been a years long, I think it's probably like four or five years now of a journey that has been so profound and on many levels, just putting things together to do a first keynote in 2019 and really come up with a signature talk on Rewrite the Mother Code, which, hey, guess what? Involves talking about yourself and my whole journey. And I had never done that to that degree before. So huge gratitude there. And then continued huge gratitude for the group that she leads that some women are are part of it that I've known all that time. And then new women like Dorsey. And Dorsey's a new mom. And you're going to hear a lot about her story. But I love that she is in a space where she's rewriting a lot of mother codes and uh, it's pretty beautiful. And one of the things I know I'm going to want to talk to her about is the importance of creating space for yourself because she does that. She has been learning to do that. So I think we're all going to be happy to hear about what that takes, what that has taken for her with a stepson and you know her new baby. So pretty cool, pretty cool in that regard. And then, you know, that led me to think about what it takes every time each woman who decides to come on one of my retreats, one of my self-mothering Equinox retreats. The next one is coming up September, September 21st to the 25th. And I'm already excited about it. I don't want to wish time away at all. I'm ready, more than ready to enjoy my summer and really have a nourishing, beautiful summer but I also know that I'll be ready for this retreat at the time. And and the retreat lands directly on the fall equinox. So I'll be back in Zihuatanejo and really just such a nourishing space for me. Just thinking about it brings me nourishment and joy. So I hope that you'll consider joining me because I would love to have you. But in the meantime, I get to talk to some amazing guests, one of which is going to be Darcy coming up here. So I'll see you in there. Well, hello, audience. I know I I did a little pre-introduction, but barely scratched the surface of my guest today. So I want to welcome Dorsey Standish to the, the Rewrite the Mother Code podcast. Hi, Dorsey. Hey, Gertrude. I'm so happy to be with you all today. Yeah. Well, it's an honor and privilege. And I mentioned this, but I just want to say it was learning your story and getting to know you on Lex's, you know, legacy speaker retreat in Las Vegas. I guess it's been, I don't know, more a few weeks, four weeks. I don't know, I'm losing track of time, but whatever it was. So I was excited that you said yes to being on the show. Thank you. Yeah, of course. And I got so much inspiration from our morning nature walks. I remember Jill said, you know, meet me at 615. I was like, wow, to get up and pump breast milk and then to go do that. That's a really early wake up, but it was so worth it to spend time with you guys. So I'm glad to continue our conversation today. Me too. And here, here, and you did it. So I want to let people know a little bit about you just from the, because, you know, some of your glowing things that 
you've done in your life and what you're about now and and but we're going to be filling in a lot more so but let me just give the audience a taste first here so dorsey is a mechanical engineer neuroscientist and wellness expert who brings evidence-based mindfulness and emotional intelligence to clients worldwide and i uh, will want to hear some of the journey of how you got from mechanical engineer to i know i've heard it but uh, i love it so Dorsey's personal mission is to help type A people like herself slow down, de-stress, and optimize their performance through research-backed brain health training. And you know I love everything regarding neuroscience and brain health, so we get to talk about that. Dorsey holds a master's degree in cognitive neuroscience from the University of Texas at Dallas and a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering from the University of Pennsylvania. Dorsey's teachings draw on her training as a teacher of mindfulness-based stress reduction through Brown University and deep experience on a regular seven-day silent meditation retreats. So while Dorsey has studied with meditation masters, she believes that her best mindfulness teachers are her beautiful wife and two young sons. I'm so glad we have that in there because I love all the like, here's what I did, but you bring in beautiful wife and two young sons. And it's just like, oh, oh yeah. Being right. Remembering to be with the people that are most important in my life and how important, what a gift that is to be with them in as best a shape as I can be with be. And I think that's what you offer and what you're doing. So I'd love to turn it over to you. I know I just shared all those things, but maybe start with your journey of mechanical engineer to mindfulness expert and a degree in cognitive neuroscience. So we'll start there. And and then I know we're going to have a great conversation. Yeah. Thanks again, Gertrude, for the invitation to share a little bit about my journey. I, like I said in my bio there, always been a type A box checker scientist and skeptic. So it was super natural for me to pursue a degree in mechanical engineering and go work for Texas Instruments after college. And I came down to Dallas, Texas. I was from the East Coast. So that was kind of a radical decision in and of itself. And once I started working at TI, I love the people, love the culture, love the opportunities, was traveling all over the world. But I found myself kind of obsessively climbing the corporate ladder, getting on that corporate treadmill. And in the spring of 2015, I had an experience of complete burnout mental, physical health crisis. And my doctor said, you really need to slow down and take some time off to recover. And it was a really scary moment for me because work had been my whole life and to take that away. And I had to just sit with myself and heal. And it's like, what does that mean? You know, how do I heal? How do I take care of myself? And in doing some research, because again, I'm a scientist, I came across Mm. meditation again and again. I'm like, Mm. oh, you want me to sit still and do nothing? This sounds terrible. But I'll pretty much try anything for a little bit to see if it works, especially if there's research behind it. So I committed to meditating for just two minutes a day. And I was so surprised to see that I was able to focus better. I was less reactive in stressful situations. And I had this intangible benefit of starting the day by giving to myself. I know Mm -hmm. that I'm not unique as a woman, as a mother, that I'm kind of oriented to give to others. And so I found that a mindfulness practice in the morning was one way to give to myself before I went on to focus on giving to the world around me. Mm. And I got so into these practices that I couldn't help but want to share them full-time. So I started teaching classes at Texas Instruments to the Women's Initiative. And it was after a particularly inspiring workshop where I had executives put their phones in this basket. And I was like, you've got to be present. And I had this experience of peak state and flow state. And I was like, this is what I'm meant to do and quit my job a week later. And I was like, I'm going to make this work. I'm going to do wellness full time. It was through that kind of inspiration of going deeper into brain health and the science aspect of the practices that I went back to school to get the master's in neuroscience and then also leaned into more formal training, mindfulness-based stress reduction through Brown University. So Mm -hmm. I love to combine in my teachings through my company, Mastermind Now, that element of science and research, but also the relatability and the storytelling of, yes, I have a partner and kids and my life is 
a little bit chaotic, just like almost everybody's I know. And here's how I use mindfulness, right? And kind of bring the audience in as we're all human beings. We all have this brain. How can we optimize the tools that we have to show up as authentically, as healed, as present as possible and what matters most to us? Oh, that's so beautifully said, both like why this is important and why it matters, Dorsey, but how it mattered to you and the difference. And I think that's when we're, this is a loose thought that you just made me think of because it was like, well, based on like how I operated, I got a mechanic, made sense to get a mechanical engineering degree, right? And no waste in that. Like that's a beautiful thing, but we don't ask ourselves those things, or maybe we just don't have the life experience that you just then had with meditation to say like, this is what I'm meant to be. Just thinking, how could we figure that out so we can get at that right from the get-go? But I don't know. It's a life journey and that you're the here now is what's important, right? And I was also thinking while you were talking, particularly in the mom culture, but I, I think this is generalizable, but a lot of times what you'll hear from people is like, oh, I don't have time to meditate. Or I think there's also misconceptions of that, you know, meditating takes like an hour. <laughs> like I, I have to do it for long periods of time or it just doesn't do any good. And, you know, we're all about kind of busting myths that get in our way from having something, you know, like this that can be so nourishing and so beneficial to us. So what are some of the misconceptions or misbeliefs that, or the beliefs that you had to break through and then ones that you hear in the clients that you're working with and, and how you and they have overcome them? Yeah, of course, Gertrude. And I want to actually bring it back to something you mentioned, these codes, right, that we kind mm -hmm. of operate with unconsciously like, oh, well, I'm good at science. And my mom says I should be a physicist. So I'm going to be an engineer, right? It's like, oftentimes we're programmed one way. And until yeah. we pause and notice and question things, we don't have an opportunity to rewrite our codes. And I think a lot of us have been programmed with the code that as moms, we don't have any time. We have to take care of other people first. And, you know, meditation is a luxury or self-care is a luxury instead of the way that I've come to see it after a lot of work and reframing of no self-care and wellness are the necessities I need that lay the foundation for me to show up as the best mom, the best business owner, the best partner that I can be. So I hear a lot of those old codes, those old ways of thinking in the clients that I work with. You know, like you said, my favorite is, oh, I don't have time to meditate. Right. And there's a joke that if, if someone says I don't have five minutes, then they need 15 minutes, right? Because they really need that meditation <laughs> time to slow down enough to be more efficient with their time sure. later on. I also hear, oh, I can't meditate. My mind is too busy. I think that's probably one of the biggest misconceptions I had when I started was that I had to sit a certain way and be perfectly calm in order to do it right. Yeah. And I love to remind people, especially those who are type A like myself, that there's no right way to practice. It's simply mm. about awareness and waking up. And for me, you know, in making those healing shifts to rewriting some of the codes that I had programmed in early on, that awareness was like the sun. It was like a light bulb, right? And, yeah. it, you know, when a plant sits in the sun, nothing happens immediately, but over time it begins to grow and transform. And so I found that awareness was really healing. And I tell my clients, even noticing that your mind is really busy, that's like the sun shining on those busy mm -hmm. thoughts, right? Nothing might happen immediately but there's the opportunity for shift and change whenever we notice what's happening. So I love to teach mindfulness in a way that's not about being calm or even focused. It's just about waking up and noticing what's here without judgment. Yeah. I love that. And it's so true. And I, I've had to hear that many, many times, like there's no wrong way to do it, or, you know, it was so useful to hear even a couple minutes a day makes a difference. It's like, okay, I can start there and, and know that anything is going to, but you're building muscles. And that's what I loved your metaphor of the sunlight, giving some consistent sunlight to help it grow. I think it, in a, I guess a different metaphor also, it's like every little bit you do is building some muscle. And if you haven't meditated before or haven't done this kind of practice, of course, it's going to be uncomfortable or, you know, new, it's just going to be new, mm -hmm. uh, I think is something really important. And I had a guest on yeah. David G., is in the world of mindfulness and that. And I did some meditating with him and I knew I knew this, but I don't know. I still always felt like, like the real good meditators sit up straight, you know, and that posture is so important and consciousness. And 
I love that he also said, no, you're not going to do it if you can't be comfortable. (laughs) Even if some of those things down the line could be helpful or add to your practice, that's fine. But lay down, sit down, get in a comfortable position because otherwise you're just definitely not going to do it. And I thought that was useful. And we're talking about this particular practice and I want to keep talking about this practice, but then we can generalize it to anything new that we're doing. And I think the bigger code that we're writing that that you mentioned was women don't deserve self-care. It's not, that's not our job. Our job is to give it to others. And then maybe if there's time we can give to ourselves. And that just, even though we kind of in our head know that that's not true and not right until you experience it, till you see the energy that you're talking about that you have more of to then give this giving to yourself is critical. It's so critical. And I really love that you're doing something to help bust that and provide a forum um, to, to make it happen. Cause that's what we need. We need the support and then we can start creating, I don't almost hate to use this word discipline because that can kind of turn people off, but it does become something that I think starts to not just feel like a thing I have to do, but a thing I want to do. So I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are some of my riffings. Does that make sense or what are you? Oh yeah. No, I definitely resonated with me. And what popped into my mind is something that we, we say in the rooms of 12 step recovery, which is another topic we can get to if it's relevant. You can't think your way into a new way of acting. You have to act your way into a new way of thinking. And so I think we hear these messages. If I just tell myself enough times, self-care is a necessity, not a luxury, right? That that will change something. But for me, what was so powerful is actually taking those two minutes. You're talking about just a short amount of time. What habits? You use the word discipline, but even just what actions can I take? Because the habitual part of our brain doesn't learn through verbal commands, right? Nothing we tell the most ancient evolutionary part of our brain is going to make it change its habits. Mm -hmm. It learns through doing through action. We literally define ourselves by what we do every day. And we start to identify with the actions that we take again and again. And so you mentioned how uncomfortable it can be for all human beings to change and take new actions, but leaning into whatever habit it is, whether it's mindfulness, whether it's self-massage, whether it's prayer, you know, anything that serves you in your life that you want to bring in more of, how can I reduce the barriers to entry with it? How can I expect that it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable, but almost lean into it? Like, wow, if it if it's hard, I probably should do it, right? Kind of like going to the gym after it's been a while. It's like, well, it probably means something good is happening here right? And then how can I reward myself? If we think about, again, the habit loop from a neuroscience perspective, it's really that trigger that incites the behavior and that reward we get from doing it. So whenever I want to do some sort of new habit, whether it's strengthening my journaling practice is something that I've just done. I bundle it with my morning meditation, which is already really solid, right? And I give myself that affirmation and that support to really reward myself for taking that time to do it. Mm -hmm. So for me, looking at it through the lens of science and understanding, oh, you know, change is hard. Of course, this is how our brain works, right? We're habitual creatures. 40 to 90% of what we do every day is habit. But if I can shift those habits, how powerful can that be for myself in the way that I show up? And really, again, talk about rewriting, reprogramming our codes keeping that idea in mind that yes, we can think differently, but for me and for a lot of people, what's most powerful is acting their way into that new way of thinking that we want to show up with. Oh, that's so true. And I love the recovery, the 12 step, was it 12 step, the program? Are you your recovery program? I, I love that framework because even you know, a fake it till you make it like I, you gotta be in that action. And I love how you're explaining this and, and underlining it. It's so important because I know even just as a coach, I got to give people stuff to do, right? Like I do think expression and sharing and kind of digging in and in our time together in a coaching session is valuable for that. But then if two weeks go by and that's like all you did, you're not practicing anything new. And that's the, like, as you said, it's the only thing that's really going to rewire us, right? Is that, is that action and that practice. And sometimes that practice is practicing new thoughts. It might not look as overt and external. And, but, you know, I've had to create many practices around 
dismissing the negative thoughts that come fast and furious. And I'm, I'll probably never get rid of them, but I don't have to give them as much airtime. And that's a practice, right? Like that's a doing mm-hmm. and a practice. So some of them may look more external, but it's still something that we're doing to have that come about. So I love this. And so now you have a five month old. Is, is that how old he is? Is he six he's months? he's not even four months. He's three oh, he's months. Four months. Yeah, oh but he's, God, the, he's, so he's the size of a one-year-old. So you're right on track. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I loved hearing. I loved hearing your beautiful birth story. So it's, if you wouldn't mind, like, because I love there are ways that even getting your process of getting pregnant and the choices you made around birth and things like that, you know, I would say you were very mindful about and you did some very critical thinking, you know, all parts and processes of, you know, our living, our identifying the codes that were there and then choosing out of kind of knowing what the different possibilities were. So if you wouldn't mind, you know, kind of sharing what were some of the ins and outs, ups and downs of, of that journey for you? My wife and I have the slightly more complicated situation, right? Of being a same sex couple of being two women. So we get asked a lot about this journey and I'm so happy to share. So she actually had our first son, Owen, who's now 12 through IVF before I met them. So I met Owen and Mary when Owen was about seven years old and we, you know, deepened our relationship, made the decision to be committed to move in, to get married. And I had always wanted to carry at least one child of my own and have that experience. And Owen, our oldest, has always wanted a bigger family. He's like, can we adopt? Can we do, you know, something? Because he loves people. And so it was really natural for us, even before we, you know, we were engaged, before we formalized the marriage process, we were like, we want to look into getting pregnant. And there's a great fertility doctor here in Dallas. And like you said, same-sex couple, it requires a lot more kind of awareness and intentionality around this decision. Yeah. But we were lucky enough that anatomically, I was healthy and and good to carry. And right as we were about to make a decision about a donor, we had this magical moment happen. It was right around Christmas of 2021. And we got this call from the donor bank that Owen's dad's sperm had become available. It was restricted, retired. We could not have the same donor. We were kind of like, okay, I guess we're going to to choose someone different. And right around Christmas, they're like, we have two vials of the sperm. And so you can have a bio, Mm -hmm. you know, you can have a kids that are biologically related. And we were elated. And Mm -hmm. the only thing that that meant is that rather than go like an IUI route, we had to go to do IVF since we only had two vials of sperm. We wanted to make sure that this process worked and that Owen would have a half brother or half sister. And so I went through the IVF journey and got pregnant in May of 2022 and gave birth in January of 2023. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny, Gertrude, because just like everybody else, maybe I had all these preconceived notions of what pregnancy would be like. And well, well, I meditate, I do this. I, you know, I'm going to have this experience. And throughout my pregnancy and being a new mom, I have been taught over and over again that we have no control over our children (laughs) and that we just get to show up and love them and love what's there and, and stop trying to change and control so much because I had six months of morning sickness, which I did not know ran in my family. And then I had heartburn and swelling and extra fluid. And it was like, and I was still speaking on stages through December when I was, you know, almost nine months pregnant. I was determined to keep speaking and, and, you know, be a representation of a mindful mom or whatever you want to call it and be honest about the challenges I was having with pregnancy and also take care of myself so that I could still show up for what mattered. So really intricate um, and demanding journey that helped me care for myself on an even deeper level, truly. Of course, I had this other plan of having a natural childbirth, mindfully breathing through the whole thing. And my baby was too big. His head was too big. He wasn't dropping. I bounced on the ball. I drank the red leaf, red raspberry Mm -hmm. leaf tea. I did all the things and he wouldn't move. And I had to have a C-section at 38 weeks. And so if I was telling you this in Las Vegas, Mm -hmm. but they actually had to make an extra cut to get his head out of my stomach because he was so big. He was nine and a half pounds at 38 weeks. 
and yeah. he has just been growing like a weed. Like he's like 22 pounds at three months. I mean, he's a giant baby and so healthy. We're so blessed, yeah. but even breastfeeding, you know, he wouldn't latch. We got his tongue tie fixed. And then, so I've been exclusively pumping and bottle feeding. And I just like learn again and again that it's not about me and what I want or what I think needs to happen. It's about showing up mindfully with awareness and compassion to the moment and meeting my mm-hmm. child, meeting my family as they are. And loving what's there as best I can. And it's just been such a journey. And I have to say that being a new mom has been so rewarding. And those moments of snuggling him and hearing him start to coo and play, it's like, this is why I want to be mindful and present so that I can wake up to these moments that we're creating as a family. I'm so grateful for them. Hi, I'm so excited to share with you my 2024 Spring Equinox Self-Mothering Retreat that's happening this March, 2024. And I would love for you not only to consider it, but to attend. But in considering it, hey, just knowing that you would be leaving cold weather if that's the space that you're in and coming down to just magnificently beautiful, warm, nourishing place of Zihuatanejo, Mexico, Zihuatanejo, meaning land of the goddess women, and coming to really take time for yourself, okay? And that I am learning more and more isn't just a nice thing to do or something extravagant or something selfish. It's essential. And I really want you to take it seriously to consider, you know, just think about what would it take for me to go? It's a five and a half day retreat getting from where you are, getting there, landing there, and then being in a space that is all about you. It's all about nourishing you. It's all about tuning into you, using everything around us, the nature, the food, the beautiful people, the rituals, ceremonies. I bring it, you know, we really bring it. And we go deeper and deeper as the days go on and we release, we let go, we bring in what is nourishing, what is empowering, what is that space of just really divine feminine energy. And we do it in the community of women. It's not for everyone, I will be honest. You know, if the idea of leaving and not making it work or it's just too hard, not for you. If the idea of, you know, spending that amount of time inwardly focused and going to that level of self-awareness doesn't sound like something you're willing to do or put the time and energy into, then it's not for you. And it's good to know that, right? So this is for people who are serious about what it means to mother themselves, what it means to take time for ourselves and that gift and what that gift can bring to us. It was originally right after my fall retreat, it filled right up. But now some people, it turns out, are not able to come. So I do have a handful of openings. And if you're listening to this and you're willing to take that step, please reach out to me. We can do a discovery call or you can put a deposit down. I would love that. And you can do that by going to my website, www.drgertrudelyons.com. Go to events and there you go. It'll all be there. There's a beautiful page there for you to explore. I look forward to hearing from you and then seeing you on my spring retreat. Mm, That's so beautiful. And I I love hearing this, uh, your journey, right? Well, I love every woman's journey, but when I'm in the moment with someone like you, and I think, you know, underlining I maybe made these choices more mindfully. I didn't just fall under the like, this is how you do it. Or, you know, you were very in together with your wife. We're very conscious and aware, but that doesn't mean it's going to go according to plan. Right. And then (laughs) that's really where the awareness of mindfulness comes in. And, you know, maybe we had backup plans, but even if we didn't, you know, around those things, it's, I think it just keeps coming back to like, can I just be as present with myself as possible in those moments? you know, and then we're going to make choices. And then we're going to have feelings about those choices either way. Right. And I love hearing your joy along with some of the maybe sadness of the disappointment of it not going exactly as planned. And that's okay too. Right. We don't have to pretend Mm -hmm. that, you know, that wasn't something that you had. And I think sometimes that's a place like in our emotional realm where we have a code that what's okay and what's not okay. 
to be with our feelings. Well, I should just be happy. I have a happy, you know, a healthy baby and boy, you know, Mm -hmm. and he definitely is. And of course we want to be happy about that, but not at the exclusion of some sadness and disappointment. Right. And, and allowing ourselves that space and not staying there. We're not talking about, you know, lingering or suffering around it. We're just talking about allowing ourselves to feel the pain or a loss of something that, that we had looked forward to. And I think that can get us, well, people, you know, but we're talking specifically of moms kind of, I don't know, bound up, right? If we're not giving ourselves that freedom of expression along with being in the moment with the experience and being grateful, you know, for the things that are be grateful for. And we yeah. hadn't talked about that part, but I, I think you mentioning it makes, I really want to underline that piece because there's a lot of power and magic and beauty in our emotions. And it's part of our system, right? Like from the physiology, you know, of how our brain works, but you know, also our physiology is we're emotional beings that think, right? I also think we're spiritual beings that yeah, living a human life, but we are emotional beings that think. And I, that's a paradigm that needs shifting because we all, many of us think it's like, no, we think, and occasionally it's okay to feel, but not so. Yeah. We are lit. Like you said, we're wired for emotion first and then that right. rational thinking bit. And I'm so glad you brought this up because it's one thing for me to look back three, four months ago and laugh about how I had to have a C-section instead of a vaginal natural birth. But you're so right to underline there was so much grieving. I mean, my poor partner was like, how long are you going to cry about this for? We just need him to be healthy. Right. And for me, you know, grieving that loss of that natural birth that I wanted to have. And same thing when he wouldn't latch breastfeeding. I mean, there's so much pressure and like, it's the mom's fault. How can you not breastfeed? And quite literally, it was like his mouth wouldn't latch. There was nothing wrong with me, but we take on so much blame and responsibility and society's opinions. And I, again, had this whole idea of wanting him to be at the breast. And I'm so grateful that I can feed him breast milk And Mm -hmm. it looks really different than, you know, my ideal or what I thought it would be. And I think it's so important that we hold space to grieve and feel the emotions that are coming up and not just, you know, some people will call it spiritual bypass, right? That we not just bypass the challenge and be like, oh, I'm so grateful that it's this way. It's like, no, I need to feel these difficult emotions to heal and then I can shift, but it's not a magic, you know, this shift didn't happen for me in the moment or even overnight. It was days, weeks of working yeah. with those emotions and holding space for myself, just like we hold space for our kids, our families, right? Giving yes. that to ourselves and allowing ourselves to shift slowly, kindly, gently. Mm. Here, here. Oh, I'm glad I brought that up then because I didn't know that so much about that part of your journey. And we can and I think it's an important part of the telling because, you know, now we're on to the next thing that we're you know, engaged in, you know, and then, yeah, the support. And sometimes we do need that voice. Like my husband sometimes was a good voice of like, okay, I understand that like this next thing is hard or uncomfortable, but it's time. Right. And yes, we'll have those and just being a voice of clarity around that. And okay. Like, and it's okay to say, like, how long do you think this is going? And for you to say, I don't know, but please, mm-hmm. you know, keep holding me and checking me in, checking in on me, right? We don't have to have, I said, well, I, you know, I don't know, maybe it feels like another couple weeks, <laughs> but we'll see. And we can have those kind of conversations without knowing really, right? But it honors. And I think honoring losses like that, I, uh, you know, women I know that have had miscarriages and at various stages, and, you know, that's another place where women's pain can often be silenced. It's like, well, you'll get to try again. It'll be fine. And just trying to wash over that and not and not give space for the grieving, you know, of any of these losses. So the loss of an experience that we thought we'd have is just is also important. So we're underlining that. Now I also know, like as you said, when you came on the retreat, he was three months old. I know a lot of women that would say, oh, there's no way I could travel. There's no way I could leave my baby that's just not possible. So I love when women are showing like, nope, it's possible. And, and, but still mindfully, right? Like, and still with all the emotions that came with it, all the challenge that comes with, I have to say, having breastfed many, 
20 some years ago, we did not have the technology of a walk around breast <laughs> pump. So we were, I was very jealous, <laughs> but happy to see that this has become much more doable, <laughs> but it was kind of fun to one hour that, but can you talk a little bit about like the mindset that you had or what, you know, led you even to make that choice to come in person to this retreat, you know, three months postpartum? Yeah, of course, Gertrude. And that I'd actually been to New York the week before for client trip <laughs> too, as he was about to turn three months old. So yes, I had sort of that voice of maybe society's, maybe my imagination of their judgments of like, how dare you leave your kid? And then the voice of like, this work is so important to me and I'm a human too. And I'm not, I'm a mom and I'm doing this work that's so important. So I cried both, both of those trips, like getting yeah. to the airport, my wife saying goodbye and I'm crying. And I know rationally that I'm making this choice intentionally, that it's okay to go. But I think there's something in our nervous system wiring as moms of new babies. That's like, you can't leave this child. You are responsible quite literally for his nourishment in this case. And so it was really challenging, but I've seen in my life what happens when a mom becomes a martyr or sacrifices themselves in order to take care of the children. And I I never want to identify as sacrificial or as a martyr. I want to stand in my power and make intentional choices that support me and my family. And I know what supports me and my mental health is doing the work, mindfulness and wellness that I love. And People will say this. I think it takes some negotiation to find your expression of this, but that a healthy, happy mom is the most important thing for your kid, right? And for me, I was one of those moms. Yeah, I was one of those moms that was so eager to get back into work. I think I took, you know, the first two weeks totally off. And then by like six to eight weeks, I was starting to have some meetings and get back into it. And it gave me so much life and joy Mm -hmm. and that connection. And I want to show my baby and our older son that it's important to do what you love and believe in Mm -hmm. yourself and make intentional choices, even when they're hard. And I was able, you know, by the, I took a trip actually the following week to Galveston, Texas too. I had a really busy month of April and May. And that time I didn't cry. It was a different kind of parting, right? And I had every time I have my coolers and my pumps and, you know, I have all these things I'm doing, my door hanger for the convention center in Galveston so I can go into this room and pump. It's crazy the things we do for our kids, right? But it was different. And so I think another example is we took our baby when he wasn't even two months old yet. We took him on a plane to Jackson Hole. Again, controversial decision to bring him to Wyoming, but we have a place up there and we love it. And I can't tell you how many parents I talk to whose kids are almost a year old and they're going, oh man, we haven't traveled with the baby yet. We're kind of nervous. And I think with all of these things, it's like ripping that bandaid off, right? It's going to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Mindfulness practice or traveling, whatever it is, is going to be uncomfortable. And I'm grateful that I have the support system and an awesome wife that encourages me to keep taking those steps forward, even when they're scary and uncomfortable, because it broadens horizons so much. When I know I can travel and do this, we can travel and do this. It makes the world seem much bigger, possibilities much more open. I don't have to stay in that place of fear or unknowing as long. Yeah, here, here. I I love that so much. And you brought up so many important things like the busting the myth that what's a good mom? And really in our culture, you can't win, right? A good mom stays home with her child. Like that's just, that's been around for a long time. But then the super mom does it all, right? She does work, da, da, da. but we're talking about, making the choice that works for you. Like this brings you life. It brings you happiness. And I love underlining the happy mom, happy baby, happy family. You know, it's just absolutely true. <laughs> and I don't think people want give that enough credit for what it is. Like I can see how life-giving, you know, your work is and the consciousness, like that's what our family's choosing to model for our kids. It doesn't mean that, you know, a mom choosing to stay home, it's like, I'm showing this possibility in whatever one we're choosing, like how present am I with myself? How nourished am I in it as I'm doing it in the choice that I'm making? And if I'm not, then I need to look at how to change that, right? Because I think then that's what the kids pick up on, you know, if we're trying to be a model, they're going to sense martyrdom, they're going to sense victimhood, you know, they're going to sense 
the fact that like I'm doing this because I'm supposed to, right? And and I think as much as we can let go of that, the better for sure. And you mentioned having a good amount of support. And I know we talked about this because another myth is like, oh, I got to do it all myself. A good mom figures it out and does it all herself and, you know, should be doing certain things for sure. So do you mind sharing some of the choices that you made around bringing support into your life? So to take care of yourself and what that was for you? Yeah. Again, I'm so lucky that my wife has had a baby before and she did it by herself, which is a whole feat that I admire uh, yes. so much. You're here. And she, from the beginning, you know, she's known some of my challenges around mental health in the past. And so we've always approached pregnancy, you know, postpartum with the goal of, like you said, happy, healthy mm-hmm. mom, happy, healthy baby. You got to put the mom's health first. And so she has always encouraged me to get support and use the resources that we have. And so I was actually just thinking recently, I remember the first day that our nanny came, I think we started looking for a nanny about three weeks after our son's birth. And that time is such a blur. Like I remember being excited when I took a shower or I got to do one yoga class, I think in three weeks, which is not the norm. And I remember that first day that our nanny came and she's so wonderful. She brought our baby a Valentine's day gift on her second day of work. Like sweetest woman. We're so blessed. (laughs) But I remember that day her being there and being like, oh my God, like I felt this sense of freedom. Like I can shower, I can walk, I can work, I can do whatever I want. Like, what do I want? And when I was just taking care of the baby all the time, I didn't have the space to check in with myself. Like mindfulness has taught me to do and be like, what do I need in this moment? Because the needs of the newborn baby were so great. And so we made the decision, and this is during pregnancy, we talked about this, but that we would have a nanny three days a week and My wife and I both own our own businesses. And so we take one day off a week during the work week to be with the baby. And then we have a nanny three days a week. And it has been such a gift to have someone help wash the pump parts and, you know, take care of the baby and play with him and give him his tummy time and change the diapers. And I'm so grateful that at the end of the day, if if, like right now I'm in the office, right? And the nanny's with the baby, I'll go home. I will be so much more present and happy to be with little Beck and also his big brother, Owen. I'll have so much more patience for Owen because I got my time to connect with you and do this work that's so important to me that I love. Every family is different. And I know moms who have loved being home with their kids, but for our family, we made the intentional decision to get that support during the day. And we also about, again, that same time, two to three weeks postpartum, we were up all night my wife's and my mental health, not good. We're like, we need help at night too. And so we invested in a night nurse again, three, four nights a week. And we probably did about six weeks of that sleep training and support with her. I didn't even tell people at first. So I'm super surprised. I'm talking about it on a podcast now, but I was like, it's part of a mom's job to stay up with the baby all night. Like you are supposed to be sleep deprived. Yes. Yeah. And it, it felt weird when people would be like, aha, are you sleeping? To be like, actually, yes. <laughs> you know, I, I've made the decision to sleep and take care of my mental health. But it's the best investment that we've ever made, honestly. Like the best money we've ever spent because mm. Beck is the best sleeper now, Gertrude. Uh. He has been sleeping through the night since two and a half months. Like that just doesn't happen. He sleeps from seven to seven now. I mean, oh we're so God. blessed. People don't yeah. even want to hear it when I tell them. <laughs> exactly. They're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> But he's so, he has the best routine during the day because we've invested in the support to support our family, to give us that mental space and clarity to make those intentional decisions that take care of all of us. I mean, I can't say how grateful I am for the resources we have and how we've choose to invest those to really support that mental health and wellness of not just the baby, but the whole family unit as a whole. Oh, so beautiful. And I love that you, you know, own the fact I didn't tell people, but that that has to be a secret that I took. Oh, sorry. Like I got to keep it under wraps that I took care of myself and I did something that invested, (laughs) got sleep and got my baby sleep trained. And now it's paying off. Like, yeah, I better keep that quiet. Right. That's what's so, (laughs) (laughs) that's like the big code that I want to rewrite that. No, we, you know, that we are inspired by other people's decisions and and I understand that something like that does require some financial resources. So I also want our whole system to change, obviously, because this is really how it should be. But because we used to have community, we used to live in community. It's not like, oh, 
since time eternal, women did it all themselves. No, it was a community and everyone was helping each other out and lending hands. And it wasn't until we started separating and siloing more. And so now we're just figuring that out, but then we're supposed to feel bad about it. Right. But so again, I'm glad you didn't listen to the myth. Right. And just think like, (laughs) Oh, this is what you do. We suffer through and took care of yourself and what a difference that made. And so I guess next step is to then, and this is what we work on too. And when you're living a new code or doing it differently in a way that you're happy about and takes care of you, that way it's okay to share it, you know, that other Mm -hmm. women can have enough of sense of themselves to be like, oh, either like, damn, I wish I had hadn't, you know, or I'm so jealous. And I wish next time I'm going to do it. I'm going to do that too. You inspired me that we can buoy each other in it versus judge each other, you know? So I really want us working on that. So thank you for all of that and all that you're doing and all the ways that you're bringing mindfulness to yourself. That's then rippling affecting. And I know everyone's going to love hearing about it and just to be inspired to do what makes, you know, sense to, to you and your family or you and your couple, or just you yourself, right. And give honor to that and all that good stuff. So I would love for more people to know about you and know how they can meditate with you or be with you. So if you wouldn't mind sharing and obviously it'll be in the show notes, but go ahead and please say out loud and share how people can connect with you. Yeah. Thanks so much, Gertrude. So we talked a lot about mothering and momhood today, but I believe that a lot of our clients at Mastermind, my company, right, are working parents or juggling multiple responsibilities and rewriting their own codes, whether that's about motherhood or how they show up in the workplace or how to pause and make those difficult choices to care for themselves or speak their truths. So our work at Mastermind is all about bringing these tools of mindfulness and emotional intelligence into corporate spaces through the lens of neuroscience and brain health. So it's myself and I have a great team also so with physicians and nutritionists, and we really take a holistic science-based approach to wellness in the workplace. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested, yeah. if you'd like a speaker for your women's group, I've been doing a lot of ERG or employee resource groups talks recently, or you think that your company could benefit from someone to assess wellness and take some strategic action to start implementing some change, you can check out mastermindmeditate.com or find us at Mastermind Meditate on any social media channel. And then you'll also see at Dorsey Standish, it's a little bit more heavy on the mom and baby pictures right now. (laughs) So if you're into that, follow me there. And we've been sharing a lot of mindful mom tips. Actually, Gertrude, you were on our Mother's Day post with your amazing advice to new moms, right? That was meant so much to me. Thank you. Yeah. We're so grateful for sourcing the wisdom of your community, so many communities. I think that phrase, it takes a village. I always thought that was super cheesy until Mm -hmm. someone said it to me when Beck was three weeks old. And I was like, oh yeah, thank goodness my sister moved here. And we had the, (laughs) and it's like you said, we evolved for connection and attachment and Mm -hmm. we've moved away from that so much in how we live. So I believe that when we have that combination of mindful awareness and that social support and connection, we can really do anything that we want to do. Those are the resources we need. Well, here, here, and just huge shout outs to all the ways and places, because yes, the workplace needs it desperately, right? And within that workplace are parents and working moms, but whoever you are in the workplace, wow, yeah, we absolutely need it. So would love to have you in more and more places there. So my last question is, what does, when you hear rewrite the mother code, what does that mean to you? Yeah. So I have to say the first time that I heard that, it honestly brought me back to my college engineering days of programming computers, writing code, right? And just thinking about code is like what boots up our computers. And it's so easy to get stuck in the same codes, the same ruts, the same patterns. And so for me, rewriting the mother code involves that conscious awareness, that mindfulness, turning on the light and like looking at that code. When I worked at TI, our engineers would always be like, oh, don't make me go back to that code. I wrote it too fast. It's not very neat. You know, it's messy. So like turning on the light and looking at the codes, even if they're uncomfortable or like, oh, I don't like that, that I have that belief. 
turning on the light and looking at those codes and then drawing on those resources of positive connection and inspiration to start to slowly make those shifts to rewrite, to reshape, to, to reframe the codes that are our own operating system and help us to it's not an overnight process. I don't yeah. think that there's any kind of destination that I'm heading to or a perfect mother code that is in my future. I am so perfectly imperfect. I can't even tell you, like I still yell at my 12 year old, even though I'm a mindfulness teacher. Right. And I still, you know, say things that I have to take back. And I still have days where I don't take care of myself. That's not the point. The point is I'm slowly shifting and healing ever so slightly every day. I'm making some small changes in my code, hopefully, so that I can show up as a more healed version of myself and more, you know, show up more vibrantly in my work, in my home life. And take that initiative to be the woman that I want to be in the world rather than letting somebody else dictate who I am and how I show up. Well, thank you. You're a poster child of exactly what, <laughs> what I'm working on and trying to get across, but I love hearing it in your words, right? And that's, it's always such a gift to me to hear it through the filter and lens of, you know, each individual, but always has this essence, but you capture it like very clearly and succinctly. So thank you so much, Dorsey. This was so beautiful and nourishing to me. It was probably so far one of the more nourishing parts of my day. So I'm I'm grateful. And I'm also grateful for the reminder. I did do a short meditation today, but I want to keep building on it and just what a difference it's been making. So thank you for being a stand for that in the world. Love it. Thank you, Gertrude. Thank you so much for choosing yourself and taking the time to listen to this podcast. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe to Mother. Wait, no, subscribe to Mother. It helps other people who need this message, aka all women, well, actually everybody, men included, find it. I'm honored to have you on this journey in mothering yourself. Remember, change is uncomfortable, but it's beautiful and it starts with us. And if you can't wait until next week's episode, follow me on Instagram and LinkedIn at Dr. Gertrude Lyons or at my website, drgertrudelyons.com. I'll see you next time.